Haven't been to Memphis yet, so I'm looking forward to showing oh, my face Oh, come down and see us. I would love to host you. Take you out for some barbecue. Barbecue. Okay. I'm always <laughs> down for that. I'm always. Yeah. Hey, Code Keepers, we're in for a treat today. We're getting on code. Of course, our code is empowerment, and we're with the good brother, John Siebling. And you're saying, hey, Seiko, just by the looks of it, what's this have to do with empowerment? Well, stay tuned. Hey, what's this have to do with black empowerment? Stay <laughs> tuned. Click it. <laughs> it's not working. All right. Welcome to Get On Code, the Fly Guy Show, which is a series of melanated conversations focused on empowerment, health, wealth, and knowledge of self. People think in binary choices because they are conditioned to. And on the wall was a picture of a wolf and a lion. I think the wolf was the Democratic Party, the lion was the Republicans. But the drug trade and all these illegal stuff that uh, people do, that's still economics. It's just that they couldn't do it in a traditional system. We're talking about melanated wealth. So we can build wealth, but we just, for some reason, don't seem to be able to transfer it. You had a great experience. Fine. That means nothing. What were you told as a child about education? You had to be how many times better? Every impression without an expression becomes depression. That's right, Code Keepers. Once again, hey, we're getting on Code, sharing the code, teaching the code, and our code is empowerment. We're with the good brother, John Siebling, the founder and senior pastor of the Life Church in Memphis, Tennessee. So salute all my Memphistonians. I don't know. Memphians. 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 (laughs) (laughs) You got it. That's what's up. And he's also the co-author of a new book called God and Race. Oh, matter of fact. Here's my copy. Code Keepers, you want to get your copy, A Guide for Moving Beyond Black Fists and White Knuckles, Guide in Race. All right? So we both have our copies. I even have my little sections where I took some notes. Uh, Let's go. Let's go. Interestingly (laughs) enough, one of the sections in your book, you state that God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. God is not American. (laughs) I was like... Oh, they said that for real? Um, So uh, let's start there, man. God is not a Democrat. God is not a Republican. God is not American. Is that even American to say that? Please. (laughs) Please. Hey, not only did we put it in the book, we we preached about it uh, in church because I think sometimes our national pride becomes an idol. Um, And, of course, God is not American. God is not. Republican or or Democrat, and you know sometimes Seiko, what happens is we 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 take other identities and we elevate them above our identity as Christians, and I think that's dangerous. So um, I'm glad you picked that out. What a great point to start with, right right here, right right there. Let's talk about it. Interesting, interesting. So we place our political identities first, and uh, yeah. you know what. I, speaking for the black community, we've done that far too often because neither one of the political parties has truly served this as well as they could have. Sure. But far too often we say, well, we, we always got to vote this way or um, I'm awake now, so I'm going to vote this way. And like, uh, we, we got to do what's best for the collective. Um, and okay, I'm getting off. I'm getting off. I'm interviewing you. <laughs> and I was about to get off topic. Hey, once again, we're with good brother John, the co-author 
of this book. And I, I think, well, let me highlight the fact that you're a co-author. This is your partner in crime yeah. and partner in consciousness, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did this picture come about, John? How did this picture come about? Well, Wayne Francis is, uh, he's, he's, he's my brother from a darker mother. That's what his dad, his, the first time I met his dad, he was, <laughs> his dad, his dad is Jamaican. We call him chief of staff cause he walks around the church and, uh, he's, he's the chief of staff. And, uh, so he introduced me, uh, himself to me and he said, my brother from a white mother. And, uh, Wayne and I have just a real strong relationship four or five years ago, I met him. And you know how when you, you know, when you meet certain people, there's just an instant bond and an instant, I call it a divine flow. We just have a divine flow. So we started, he's pastoring a church in New York. I'm pastoring in Memphis. He joins in with us and becomes a, a life church, one of our locations. And we, we do a series together um, in February of 2020, a message series, sermon series in church called Black Fist, White Knuckles. Uh, talking about racism, talking about diversity. And uh, if you think back on that moment, February 2020 was right before the world went crazy with COVID. And then you had Ahmaud Arbery who was killed. And then you had George Floyd and the world went, went, went absolutely bananas. So that was just a few months before that. It became sort of a prophetic series that we did. And then publishers started reaching out and it, and it turned into a book. And um, so Wayne is just, he's a one of a kind guy. Uh, yeah. God and race. There it is right there. Wayne is a one of a kind guy. And uh, I think what our heart and goal was in that series Seiko was that we wanted to sit on stage together and model what it could look like for a black man and a white man to have a civil conversation, maybe even on points of, of, of disagreement, but we could stay in love and we could stay focused on, um, you know, empowerment. We could stay focused on being together and 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 building a bridge. And so it kind of turned into the book and kind of, you know, hopefully it's turning into a, a little bit of a movement. We have a companion study guide, if I could just throw that out. Uh, all the info is on our, our website at God and Race, godandrace.com. But we have a companion study guide. We recorded some videos together that you can you you can use in like a small group Sunday school class whatever works for you, and um, we're just kind of hoping people start having these open handed conversations because I think that's the key to moving forward. Interesting, interesting, and that kind of leads into uh, one of my other questions: white black tension. We can say that that's been around in our beautiful United States since the onset. Uh, we can say that there's been that tension uh, even before the United States has happened. But if we're going to center ourselves here in the United States of America, our beautiful country, there's tension. And there has been tension. Yes. So what are some of the uncomfortable questions and what are some of the answers that you two arrived at in your discussions? Well, I think, you know, um, to me the most important step you can take to begin to um, solve the tension. Uh, I don't know if that's the right answer. Uh, manage the tension. Let me say it that way uh, is to build relationships. So when I'm, when I'm with Wayne and I, I, I feel safe, I can ask him questions. Um, even if I think, man, this might sound like a dumb question or I may not be saying this right and vice versa. 
we can actually have open sort of open-hearted, open-minded dialogue. Um, I think that's the best chance we have to manage the tension and to live in harmony and to, to live, you know, we're, we're going to be different. Um, but that's what makes the relationship beautiful. I mean, so, uh, is the fact that I can celebrate his differences. So, um, gosh, there's so many things we could talk about here. I mean, I, I think, you know, being able to ask hard questions of each other, uh, why did you say that? Why do you feel that? How, how did you come to that conclusion? Uh, there's only, there's only way, there's no other way to grow except answering honest, you know, ask, asking honest questions and answering honestly. So I think that the key is those is relationship. Interesting. Interesting. And so these conversations started in February. Well, which they, is yeah, they started before that. I, I just, just to throw this out, I think sometimes what happens to some leaders, some pastors, civic leaders, whatever, is they try to have the conversation publicly before they've had it privately. So meaning I know Wayne and I knew him and we had hours of conversations. We read books together. We did all kinds of things together to get to know each other and to learn from each other before we ever got on stage together. And so, um, so anyway, not to try to, you know, clarify, but I mean, we, we, we spent a lot of, t we just have spent a lot of time together talking heart to heart. And I think that's what it takes. Right. I think that's instructive that sometimes we have to deal together away from the public to work things out, um, not necessarily just to present a united front, but just to get comfortable enough where we can really, and I'm assuming, I'm, I'm speaking life into yeah. Yeah, my yeah. understanding of what you described, but I, I think that's very instructive. Well, you know, can we just say, give you an example when, when, I'm a pastor, right? So I'm leading the church and I'm, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of pastors. Um, so when, when May, June, 2020 happened. Okay. And, and there was, you know, protests and it just was, it was, it was an intense time. A lot of pastors were doing they they quick, you know, kind of jumped into these diversity messages or diversity series. And they, you know, if it was a white guy, he was pulling a black guy up on stage with him or vice versa. And, and it, it was a, it was a disaster oftentimes because there was no chemistry and there was no, they, they had not done the work of building a relationship. So you, you get up there on the stage talking about things and there was an awkwardness and, and, and people can smell that, right. They can feel that. That's like, wow, that it's a, you know, a PR disaster, but really a, you know, a relationship mistake. That's not how you lead. So point being, I think, uh, you know, you do the do the work with somebody, right? Do the work at coffee. Do the work at invite them to your house. Get to know them, know their kids, know their story, uh, and and before you enter into any sort of you know, unless we're doing like we're doing, right? You're interviewing me, and I mean that's all cool. I, I'm I'm just I'm talking about that that sort of public work when when you're trying to move the needle forward, maybe in church or spiritually. So um, it's all about that. Look, for me, it's all about relationships. Life moves at the speed of relationships. I believe ministry flows out of relationships. So let's build those authentic relationships with people that look different than us and understand their story and embrace it. Wow. That kind of led me to one of the uh, other questions that I had prepared, 
which was how did a black pastor in New York City? Oh, salute to all my New Yorkers. I'm a Brooklyn boy. You got to get used to it. Brooklyn is a blood type. Um, But how how did a (laughs) oh salute to the Bronx? I was just in the Bronx on Sunday. Um, How did a black pastor in New York City and a white pastor in Memphis? pool their insight and experience to help congregations and others facilitate conversations about racism. So you gave us a little bit of the backstory. You know, you went into the 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 smaller room, the upper room, and just had some conversations and built a relationship. But after you built the relationship and you're getting ready to go on stage to kind of share this example to the world, how do you help other congregations? and others to facilitate conversations about racism? That's a great, great question. Um, so in the book, chapter uh, nine, I believe it is, um, we, we lay out this framework. I get this question all the time, Seiko, and and, and it's such an important question. Um, chapter nine, take some steps. So we put together this very simple five-step framework. It's very simple, but we use it as a framework for how we're, how we're building diversity in our church. And I encourage other pastors to do it. I already gave the first step, which is start S with uh, personal relationships, start with friendship, you know, start with a coffee. And when you have, you know, when you, so you're going to sit down with somebody who's different than you. If you're a white guy, you're sitting down with a black guy. It's not like the first time you have coffee, you're going to pull out your questions and five minutes into it, go deep, build the relationship, right? Start S with relationship T take personal responsibility and I think this is one thing I hear a lot of times from 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 everybody. All right. But but a lot of white people will say, well, look, I didn't do all that. You know, that was that was my that was the previous generations slavery and some of the sins of the past. Yeah, but we, we we've inherited this context that we're living in. And so now we we have to take responsibility for it. I love the theme of the podcast empowerment, because when you take responsibility, what are you doing? You're empowered. You're being empowered to make a decision and to make a difference. And the opposite to me of empowerment is when you're blaming. Um, so the opposite of taking responsibility is I'm just I'm going to blame my parents or my grandparents or previous generations. And then that means I don't have to do anything. Well, when I take responsibility and personal responsibility for for where I am and where the context I'm living in, it actually gives me the chance to move forward. E is educate yourself. Uh, get God and race, read a little bit, learn a little bit, pray uh, for us Christians and believers that we, we believe prayer makes a difference. And then the final one, S, is to speak up. And I just think all of us need to speak up in our context. All of us have influence, whether it's a podcast, whether it's, it's a, you know, uh, co- co-workers, family, uh, pastor, whatever your, your context is, speak up in your context, speak up for life, speak up for diversity speak up for different ethnicities. Um, and uh, so just a little framework, steps, take steps, S-T-E-P-S, boom. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, take steps. Um, wow. Wow. Okay. Okay, so you described how that happened. Um, one of the things is you just talked about without describe without naming it was white privilege in your book you gave a really succinct easily to understand definition on white privilege 
How did you arrive at that understanding? Well, um, I looked it up in the dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, I think it's chapter five. Let me check it. Yeah. Chapter five, page 67. Um, There is actually a dictionary definition for white privilege. Um, But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, White privilege is tough. It's tough to talk about. I hate to say it. I, I believe it. I, I, I know there is white privilege, um, but it just makes me cringe because I, I think of the, you know, of what it means, what it represents. Uh, it's a, you know, it's the inherent advantages possessed by a white person on the basis of their, of their race in a society characterized by racial inequality and injustice. And, you know, I think it was the Oxford Dictionary where I found that definition. Um, and uh, so it's a real thing. I think it's one of my favorite chapters in the book. And maybe it's because I wrote it. No, I'm kidding. It's because it's very um, confrontational. It's one of the only chapters we say, please don't skip this chapter. Because sometimes when you're most uncomfortable, that's when you're growing. And um so it's an uncomfortable chapter. And, and the word privilege sometimes, you know, is what what throws people off because people say, well, I, I don't you know, I wasn't raised wealthy. I wasn't raised privileged. So you could use the word advantage. Right. I mean, you, you know, the reality is there were certain advantages that you were given because you were white. And I mean, that's just bottom line. We have this whole uh, little illustration we do on page 70 uh, called check your privilege. You know, where I don't know if you saw that part. You hold up 10 fingers and you put a finger down for each question. And in, in inevitably, you know, every white person I do it with, you know, they, they finish the exercise. They may look like this or, or maybe this or maybe this, but majority of the black people that I do it with, they look like this because they've had so many, whatever you want to call them, microaggression moments um, or, you know, or, or intense um, moments. And so that's a great illustration. It's on page 70 and 71, great illustration of, of what white privilege looks like. Wow. Um, I tell you, the part that really captured me is on page 69, I guess one page away, <laughs> yep. 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 where it says white privilege doesn't mean you haven't had any problems. It means your skin color hasn't been one of them. Um I just thought that was really, um, yep. Wow. Yep. Now that means a lot. Thank you. So, uh, code keepers, uh, we're having an interesting conversation, you know, on God and race by one of the co-authors, brother John here, founder and senior pastor of the life church and the co-author of God and race. Um, and I have to bring this piece home. I have to bring this piece home. How does this empower us? You know, our show is based on empowerment with a interest in black empowerment. So how does this book with these two individuals and this content, how would this empower us? And when I say us, I do mean the collective. Um, that's a great question. I think what's, what's the opposite of empower to disempower, to feel like you don't have any any power to feel like you don't have the wherewithal to change your life. Um, this is one of those hard books uh, for both sides, because I think we're asking 
in a sense, we're asking black people to forgive white people, to um, to to embrace white people, to trust white people when there's been a lot of reasons not to. Um, we're asking mm. white we're asking white people to say, um, hey, will you uh, realize that you have had certain advantages? Will you realize that our country has made some um, horrible, horrible errors in how people have been treated, slavery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I think forgiveness empowers. I think, uh, I think, um, I think getting people together, white, black, I think there's, I think it, it, it empowers us. Um, so, uh, you know, taking responsibility, I'll say this, and I don't want in any way to offend anybody. Taking responsibility is the opposite of being being a victim uh, because a victim says, this is what's been done to me and I can't do anything about it. Taking responsibility says, this is what's been done to me, but I'm going to forgive and I'm going to release people and I'm going to I'm going to embrace and love and trust. Um, God, I mean, I, you know, I'm just kind of rambling a little bit, talking off the top of my head, Seiko, but I, I think to me, um, Forgiveness is, is powerful and it's empowering. Trust, it doesn't sound like it, but trust, forgiveness um, breaks down those walls. I think it empowers, it empowers people. Intriguing. I, I know we're at the end of our time. I do have one last question and I'm going to preface it with, uh, in the book, there's a story. Let me see. I can't remember what page it's on. Oh, yeah, it's on uh, 248, and it talks about, a, I guess, your, your, co, your co-author uh, on a Zoom meeting. Oh, yeah. And I really think that that story was intriguing because he talked about how he really, and I don't want to give it away because, you know, co-keepers, pick up the book. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, um, you know, whether you believe that the solution lies in conversations or the solutions, you know, lies in uh, a faith-based approach. Pick up the book because <laughs> it's definitely intriguing. It's definitely intriguing. And I think there are a lot of solutions there. But he talked about how he needed to restart something, have something uploaded, uh, updated. Upgraded. Is the word. Yeah, yeah, updated. updated and upgraded yeah. Yeah. to be able to adjust to modern life. And I think that your book will help people kind of update mm. themselves to adjust to modern life. You know, we're dealing with the the remnants and hopefully the resurgence of an awakening that happened, you know, after we had our Emmett Till moment. You know, we had our Emmett Till moment yeah. Yeah. with uh, George Floyd. Now, we had a number of, you know, notables that happened before that, you know, uh, you know, I'm. I'm not going to end until Breonna Taylor gets justice, I think. But mm-hmm. there was definitely an awakening. I think that your book helps people update their operating system so they can kind of adjust to the new environment. So with that being said, why don't you leave us with some words on updating your system? Well, I love that. Uh, Seiko, thank you. And I love that story that Wayne tells. He was, he, he, I won't give it away either, but he was trying to do a Zoom call in the middle of 
when everybody was zooming, right? Uh, 2020 and uh, his software wasn't connecting because it hadn't been updated. And I think that's the, that's the challenge. It's hard to connect unless we, we, we were updated. The Bible says, and I, just for our Christian uh, um, listeners, viewers, the, the Bible says that we can understand God's will when our mind is renewed. And I just think there's, um, there's this constant renewing that needs to happen with our mind and with our heart. It's that updating. It's that resetting. I, I thank you for the words that you said that the book could help with that. And again, you know, we don't suppose or propose that one book is going to, going to change everything. But, um, I got a text, uh, two days after the book came out from a good friend who was taking his child to school and he had just finished the chapter on profiling. And he said, uh, I saw somebody drive in my neighborhood and I said to myself, hmm, they must be coming to clean someone's house. And it checked me. He said, I realized, wow, I got work to do. But I was so thankful for that text because that's the kind of work that's being done. That's the kind of resetting and updating that is being done through this book. His his racial you know, thinking was confronted and um, I mean, this is a this is a good guy, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty well off and, and has a great job. And um, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider him a racist, but it, but he's got some resetting that needs to happen. And um, so that's one of a dozen stories of, that I've heard. And it's just one conversation at a time, one person at a time, one step at a time. I like to say we're in this for the long game. All right. So. It may be three steps forward and two steps back, but we've taken one step forward. And so, um, so that's my thought. All right, code keepers, we got to let them go. But remember, get on code, share the code, teach the code, become the code. Our code is empowerment and a great book to pick up is God and race. Hey, thank you. We love you all. Peace.